Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. The early New Testament church would often greet one another with, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Maranatha, as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, every now and then, we can pick up our scriptures and we can find a little bit of a foretaste of glory divine. In the pages of scripture, we come to Revelation chapter 4. And I want to read our verses again this morning. Revelation 4 verse 11 and Psalm 29, 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Last week we considered biblical worship. There is a vast difference, and we looked at this from the last part of Revelation chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. But there is a big difference between man-centered and God-centered worship. Out of curiosity, I went online to look to see what the latest in music is that is found. Many, much of this is being played in churches today, and it includes songs, for example, from groups like Hillsong. Or elevation worship. If you are listening to this kind of music, you are listening to stuff that does not bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. For example, the number one hymn or the number one song right now on Christian radio that is being played all across America is a song called Gyra. Anybody heard the song? Okay, a few of you have. Gyra. The word Jireh comes from the name of God, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And so this name Jireh is just the provide part. It has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. The, The song is actually just over nine minutes long. Now to give you an idea, most of the songs that we sing in church today are normally anywhere from two and a half to three and a half minutes. Now, don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with singing a long song. But you can sing, in fact, out of the top four songs that are on Christian radio right now, the top in the top 100, if you were to play all four of these top songs, it would take you half an hour to listen to these four songs. And out of these four songs, not one of them mentions the name Jesus Christ. This is Christian music, supposedly. When we get to heaven and we are gathered around the throne, I hate to disappoint you, but if you think that we are going to be singing little 7-Eleven songs around the throne of God, you are greatly going to be disappointed. Because we are going to be singing to the Lamb. We are going to be singing to the one who alone is worthy of our praise. 
The difference between man-centered and God-centered worship is this. The first, man-centered, seeks to elevate or exalt man above the Creator, while the second rightly gives the glory to Jesus Christ alone. It's really the difference. We were looking at salvation in the class this morning, in the Sunday school class. It's really the difference between monergism and synergism. Monergism, simply meaning mono, singly, by God alone. We say sola deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. Versus synergism, which is a mix of whatever parts of you that you want to try to add to God and come up with a religion on your own. You see, my friend, there are a lot of people, even in churches today, who are worshiping an unknown God. When Paul went to Athens and he saw on Mars Hill or Areopagus and he sees an inscription and he stands before the people and he says, and these were a very religious people, they had all their T's crossed, all their I's dotted. They wanted to make sure that they had all of the gods covered just in case they may have missed one. They had a idol or an altar that was there that said to the unknown God. And Paul comes and he says, this is the God I want to describe to you. This is the God that I want to tell you about. There is a creator. There is a God who has created all of these things. But there is a big problem and that is that you are separated from him. Your sins, my sins, crucified the Lamb of glory. And then Paul tells them what the answer is. And of course, they, some of them mocked. Some of them scoffed at Paul. We will hear you again on this matter. The problem is that we have no guarantee that you will hear us again on this matter. We don't know whether this will be the last message that I ever preach. We don't know whether you may be one of the ones that we're conducting a funeral for next week. You see, the Bible is very clear that today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Not when you've had your flings, not when you've had all of the fun that you could possibly want, but realizing how close we come to death every single day. Man-centered worship wants man to feel good about himself, while God-centered worship rejoices in that he is counted worthy to be in the number of the redeemed. Man-centered worship says man is important and that God is only important when we get to the end of ourselves. While God-centered worship says God is important and sovereign over all, including over the affairs of man. The first words from Sister Janet yesterday. Pastor Mark, I, I hate calling you up like this. And she expressed that Brother Diego had had an accident on his motorcycle. I'll be honest, it's one of the things that I fear. I used to ride a motorcycle. My boys ride motorcycles. They have laid their bikes down in the past. And it always concerns me and some small part of me, Brother Tim, still wants to get on a motorcycle again. Until things like this happen. And after I got the news, I got in my car and I went to the store to get some stuff and came back and every car I passed, I was watching like a hawk. 
Because it's not that I'm a bad driver, it's just I can't trust everybody else that is out there. But seriously, the, the question is, what if yesterday would have been his day? We don't know. Are we prepared to meet our God? Brother Diego shared the joy that even though he was in pain when they were all gathered in the hospital up in Torrington, that even the nurses paused as they spent time praying and giving him over to God. That's amazing. You don't often see things like that. You see, when we come face to face with death, sometimes that's the only time, unfortunately, when we actually spend time thinking about eternity. We should be thinking about eternity every single day. Our hearts and minds should be so full of God that like Enoch one day when he was walking with God, he just kept right on walking with God right into eternity. We should love God so much. We should be spending so much time with God and in his word and with God's people that there's no break in the fellowship between here and us gathered around the throne. Man-centered worship finds pleasure in denying the sovereignty of scripture and in elevating the depravity of the creature while the second rejoices as we hear in the first question of the Westminster Catechism what is the chief end of man if you don't know this you should memorize it what is the chief end of man the chief end of man is this to glorify God and to enjoy him forever and if the only time that you're enjoying God is on a Sunday morning you're not rightly worshiping the creator One person has written, to ascribe glory means to give God what he alone deserves. We don't add a single measure to the glory of God, but we reflect to him the glory that he inherently has. The word for glory is the word where we get doxology. And it means to honor someone's reputation or to make much of his name. Does that bring Philippians chapter 2 to mind? God has given him, Jesus Christ, a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. To worship something means that we ascribe a sense of worthiness and glory to the object of our worship. And if that object is not Jesus Christ, then we have wrongly placed other gods ahead of the Most High. In your bulletin, I have printed off this little note from Jonathan Edwards because I thought it was important for not just to share in the morning message, but for you to take with you. Jonathan Edwards wrote this in 1731 at the age of 28. And he said, quote, Let us be exhorted to exalt God alone and to ascribe to him all the glory of redemption. Let us endeavor to obtain and increase in a sensibleness of our great dependence to have our eye on him alone. To mortify, which means to put to death, a self-dependent and self-righteous disposition. Man is naturally exceeding prone to exalt himself. Self-esteem, that's, that's nothing new by the way. That's been going on for a very long time. 
exceeding prone to exalt himself and depend on his own power of goodness, as though from himself he must expect happiness. He is prone to have respect to enjoyments that are alien from God and his spirit as those in which happiness is to be found. But this doctrine should teach us to exalt God alone, as by trust and reliance, so by praise. Let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. Edwards continued, Hath any man hope that he is converted and sanctified or set apart to be made holy, and that his mind is endowed or blessed with that true excellency and spiritual beauty, that his sins are forgiven and he received into God's favor and exalted to the honor and blessedness of being his child and an heir of eternal life? Then let him give God all the glory who alone makes him to differ from the worst of men in this world or the most miserable of the damned in hell. Hath any man much comfort and strong hope of eternal life? Let not his hope lift him up, but to dispose him the more to abase or to put himself down, to reflect on his own exceeding unworthiness of such a favor and to exalt God alone. Is any man eminent in holiness, abundant in good works? Let him take nothing of the glory of it to himself, but ascribe it to him whose workmanship we are, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. If you have any concern or any thought whatsoever about what you bring to the table, I encourage you to go home today and read Ephesians chapter 1 and see that it is all about God not about you. Last week we considered the appearance of the throne and the four living creatures in verse 6 through 8. We continued with the one on the throne, which is where we left off last week. And just briefly before we get to the final point, number four this morning, as one noted, a growing choir takes place at the throne you find the four living creatures that begin in verse 8. And then you have the 24 elders that join in in verse 10. In chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, harps are added. And then fourthly, the angels there and then add their untold myriads of voices. And in chapter 5, verse 11, finally, every creature in heaven and earth sings the wonder of the thrice holy God. In chapter 5, verse 13, we read, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Do you get the idea maybe that John is struggling to find more words to describe God? I mean, we consider these things, I mean, we, and we throw, for example, one of, the, one of the things that I don't like about modern speak is, is you never know exactly what people are talking about, especially the young people. Well, that's cool. What do you mean it's cool? I mean, is, is it hot? Is it a temperature? Or what is it? And then they'll say, oh, that's awesome. You know, they do a trick or you see the Olympics on TV and, oh, that's really awesome. No, that's not awesome. Only God is awesome. I mentioned Handel's Messiah last week and it is said that tradition states that the King George II's got off his throne when it was being played at its premiere in London, England, and he stood to his feet when he heard the Hallelujah Chorus being played and said, no man has the right to sit in the presence of the King of Kings. 
All the others stood with him because it was not right for them to sit when the king was standing. Can you imagine what it'll be like when untold millions are gathered around the throne? We will fill heaven with our singing, with our rejoicing. There will be no choir to ever compare like what we will sing. The crescendo of worship that comes from the 24 elders in verse 10. They have fallen down before the throne. They are worshiping on their faces. We have shared this with you before, but there are many who have claimed to have met face to face with God. Some of you may remember, I don't remember how tall it was, whether it was 90 foot or 900 feet. Uh, Oral Roberts many years ago said that he had an encounter with God. The fact is that when people in the Bible met God, they looked for the lowest place in the ground to put their face because they were on holy ground. If it wasn't for the grace of God, for the mercy of God, for the forgiveness of God, for the long-suffering of God, you wouldn't even be able to meet with God. I know that there is much talk, maybe you have heard it as well, about, ca- about the crowns that are going to be cast at the feet of the Lord Jesus. I do, not know, I do not know whether they're actually golden crowns or whether they've got jewels. And, you know, a lot of us, I, this is, I've heard this before and in the past. And, and uh, I know my dad did a series when, when he was talking about the crowns uh, a few years ago. And, and I, I can just imagine, because in my mind, I've got this imagination that thinks, well, if we've got four or five crowns, you know, are just going to keep stacking up on our heads. No, I don't, I don't think that's really what it's talking about. But whatever the crowns are that are found here, the Stephanus, the, the, those who have gone before us, here's what's most important. It's not what's on the crown. It's not what the crown is made of. It's the fact that these elders who are seated on their thrones not only get up off of the throne, not only fall on their faces before the only throne that matters, but they don't feel qualified to remain seated in the presence of the king. They then rightly cast these crowns that are on their heads at the feet of the only throne that matters. And the word here means to throw down with great force and effort. In other words, there's no hesitation. There's not one of the elders who are here who are thinking that they're going to be able to retain some of that glory for themselves. There's no glory that you and I are going to have. If there's any glory that is given whatsoever, it is because the Lord Jesus Christ has granted it. But the Bible is very clear. I am God. I share my glory with no one. That brings us to our main verse this morning in verse 11. Worthy are you, O Lord, or our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. In your notes this morning, the first blank there is his indescribable worth. The word means deserving, Comparable or suitable, having the weight of something as in weighing as much as another thing of like value. Is there any to compare to our God? No. Our God is incomparable. 
You, you could stack, and I've heard, I've heard all the little things, you know, is there, is there a rock that's so big that even God, can God create a rock so big that he can't even lift it? The answer is no. But the biggest question we have to face is, why would God want to do that? And it's normally because of the puny hearts and minds of men and women who in their depravity think that they can put some kind of a restriction on a holy and righteous God that will bring him down to their level. God has no need or desire to create a rock so big that he can't lift it. We know that all things that he does, he does for his honor and his glory. We've been looking at the attributes of God in the Sunday school. And, and one of the things that I share, and it always amazes people that are astounds them. Sometimes people even get upset when we tell them the truth of Scripture that God doesn't need you. Amen. And he doesn't need me. There is nothing that we can bring to the table that will change him from being God. He is God and he stands alone. We find, secondly, not just his indescribable worth as these are falling before the throne and they are crying out. Can, it's, sometimes I wonder what it will be like to hear this sound. I mean, we, we sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Or we sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my Sovereign die. You see, that's true worship. Those are biblically based hymns. The problem with man-centered worship versus God-centered worship is man-centered worship is designed with entertainment in mind. And it is designed to entertain the goats, not to edify or exhort the sheep. But when we sing theology is what is to drive every part of our service. I have talked about this. Where's he at, Brother Sam? I've talked about this with Brother Sam. Uh, our music is not just because we need some music to be played or music to be sung. We sing the hymns that we do because these are designed to point you to Jesus Christ. It is to prepare your heart for the coming word. We find, secondly, his inimitable sovereignty. This morning, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. There's nothing that you can do to change that. There's nothing that I can do to change that. He doesn't become Lord because you choose to put him on his throne. He is always on his throne. He has never abdicated his throne. He is Lord. Very simple. His sovereignty can't be duplicated. Look with me at Daniel chapter 4, Old Testament. Daniel chapter 4. If you find some of the bigger books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then you'll come to Daniel. Here was a king who, in his own right, thought that he was something special. One of the titles in the ancient language, he was self-styled, Nebuchadnezzar was, as the king of kings. But the problem was that he had not yet come in contact with the king of king of kings. 
Daniel chapter 4. You know the account, and just in case you don't, Nebuchadnezzar, fills his, uh, his heart is filled with pride. Daniel comes and warns him, and he tells him, he says, you need to understand that you need to give God all of the glory. Yeah, 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 heard it all before. We march on. And a year later, 12 months, boy, that's kind of generous. The fact that he lasted 12 months after hearing the words and the warnings from Daniel, but he's standing on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, and he says, is not this great Babylon that I built by my mighty power? Ain't I a great guy? Ain't I a great king? And as the words were still in his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, judgment has come. Judgment fell just as surely as it will fall on everyone who is not a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we find an interesting few verses at the end of Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar in verse 34 says, At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and what does it say? My reason returned to me. you struggle with the things in the world? Do you struggle with facing the flesh, with facing all of the problems that we find in the world today? Lift up your eyes to heaven. Your reason will return unto you. And what does it say he does? I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And Nebuchadnezzar again says, in writing this, my reason returned to me. This heavenly choir that is singing, there is no doubt in their mind why they are there. There can be no doubt in their mind that they are redeemed from among the children of men and they of all people are most blessed to be there. You see, God doesn't save you and I because of how special he thinks you and I are going to be. When Moses goes out into the wilderness and God tells him to throw the stick down, the potential wasn't in the stick to become a snake. When Moses puts his hand inside his bosom and he pulls it out and it becomes leprous, the potential was not in a leprous hand. The potential was in the God who alone had the ability to do that. It is interesting that you have the, the sovereignty of God. And again, we have defined this before. We'll define it again here. The sovereignty of God can be simply defined as God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, with any person he wants, to, for any purpose which he wishes to accomplish, and that is to bring honor and glory to himself. His sovereignty 
Why would you want to worship a king who is not really a king? We find thirdly his incalculable right. The Lamb of God alone receives what belongs to him alone. When we fall before Christ on his throne, not one person will ever be able to stand and proclaim what he or she did in order to merit heaven. Not one. The word here means to have a good opinion concerning God and as a result, it will produce praise and honor and glory. You know, there are a lot of religions, there are a lot of cults that are out there and they will all ascribe something to God. He was a good person, he was a prophet, he was a whatever. But like Jesus Christ himself said to the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? There is only one who is good and that is Jesus Christ. I would challenge you in in your life, and, and, and I have said this before, but I believe that in every congregation whether it's ones that Brother Mickey has has pastored in or some of you have have taught or, or taught in different places, my dad has for many years, and I can tell you that without exception in just about every congregation, we find people who want to start off their walk to salvation by thinking how good they are. If you don't believe me, ask yourself this question. Am I a sinner? Look in the mirror and ask yourself that question. Am I a sinner? If you don't believe you've ever been a sinner or that you sin, you have no need of a Savior. It is only when we come, Jesus Christ came in the world to save what? Not good moral people. Sinners. And if you're saved this morning, it is because you were once a sinner. You are a sinner saved by grace. Is this reason why when we come to God, we have to come in the manner that he prescribes. In the manner that we consider him. In the manner which is his right. In other words, what kind of worship? Worship isn't about raising our hands. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not about raising our hands. It's not about singing little songs. It's about, is our mind, is our heart, is every part of our being bowing before the throne? Bowing before the King of kings and Lord of lords. We find three things here, glory, honor, and power. Again, we gain our word doxology from this word glory here, doxa, and it refers to several glorious aspects that humans might or would behold. It was used when the angels appeared in the sky proclaiming the glory of the Most High in Luke chapter 2. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It refers to the absolutely perfect inward or personal excellency of Christ. It can refer to the condition with which God the Father gives to Christ after he was raised and he had achieved his work on earth as seen again in Philippians chapter 2 that we mentioned earlier. Glory be to the Lamb. Glory be to the Son of God. Glory be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think 
Do I think? Are there things in our life that keep us from truly worshiping and giving glory to him? Sure there are because we fight the flesh. We fight the world. We fight all of these things that would distract us from the glory of God. Honor. Honor means to give honor or to give honor to one who outranks all others. There shouldn't even be a question here. Jesus Christ is the one who is preeminent. And again, I've used this example before, but if if you were to come up and ask me, can you show me a picture of the love of your life? And I open up my wallet and I show you six or seven pictures of different women. uh, My wife would be concerned, number one. And she says, well, no, I don't like that. And I say, but, but you're number one out of all of them. Do you think she's going to be happy? My wife doesn't want to be prominent. She wants to be preeminent, the one and only. This is the picture that we see in the Bible. God will not share his glory with another. He doesn't want you worshiping someone, something else in your life. A lot of times we get to the point where we think that we have to have something in order to survive. No, all we need is Christ. One Bible dictionary notes that the honor is one that is achieved by reason of the rank and the state of the office by which that person holds. How how, how much higher can you get than king of kings and lord of lords? I mean, loose for himself. He, He gets pride. Pride fills his heart. And what does he do? He says, I will be like the most high. And that's not even good enough. I will be God. No, you won't. But you know, for all of earth's history, he has been trying to prove to people like you and I, down through the ages, down through church history, has been trying to prove to them that he's right and God is wrong. It started way back in the garden where Satan said, did God really say that? Yes, God has said that. And then his power. This is the word dunamis, which we get our word dynamite from today, that which is powerful. But being more than being powerful, the term actually means the power resides by virtue of its very nature. You know, the Greeks and the Romans, they considered their gods to be powerful. Because of what their gods were able to do, they held them up on a pedestal. And you can still go to places like Italy and Greece today and you will find altars and temples that are to these great gods that never even existed. But Jesus Christ is all-powerful. He is supreme because of his very nature. When Christ returns, the Bible tells us that it will be with power because that is who he is. Everything exists because of him. You are not here by accident today. You are here because this is where God has you to be. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 and 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Same words here. 
I get so tired of hearing people when I, when I talk about the wonder of heaven and, and what it's going to be like and when God returns and, and if they are not a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the things that they want to supposedly ascribe to him, you know, the man upstairs, the pie in the sky. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back with power and great glory, you also will be on your face proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord His incredible power, letter D on your notes. One commentary noted this, the elders are acknowledging that God has the right to redeem and to judge his own creation. The first part of this great oration of praise in history pictures God about to judge Satan, demons, and sinners and take back his creation. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We'll begin at verse 19. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. You you see all the problems that are around? You see the weeds and, and the fact that it's not a beautiful paradise? That is because of our sin. But one day even earth will be freed from that burden. There is only awe and worship in the fulfillment of of Paul's words here in Romans chapter 8. And it has come to fruition through the voices of these beings in heaven. The God who has created all things by his will. 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. (coughs) Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Again, do you see the focus? The focus is God. The first part of this praise him has dealt with creation and As we have stated before, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. This is not an allegory. The same God that created the world is the one who demands worship from his creation. He alone created ex nihilo, out of nothing. By his own will, finally. He keeps all things. 1 Peter 1.5 Listen to Peter's writing. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. To each saint who has or is being overwhelmed by the floods of life, maybe even this morning, know that it is God's word that keeps you until the day of redemption. It's not your own strength. These elders who have sat on their thrones, they're they're not perfect. Until the day of glorification, we will all struggle with sin and imperfections. But a day is coming in which we shall be redeemed. That is a promise from God's word. 
We shall be redeemed from this flesh. We shall be raised to walk with no sin and no sorrow. Not only does He keep all things, Colossians chapter 1, for the sake of time we will not read it, Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 18 speaks about Him being the firstborn of all creation. I encourage you to read that passage. But God, through Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ Himself being God, we find this in creation of all things in Psalm 115 verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. The Bible says that your heart and my heart can't be trusted. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. If you're trusting your heart to tell you how to worship, how to bring worthiness to the Lamb of God, then you are worshiping wrongly. I would encourage you to do something this week as you're listening. Turn on the radio, turn on the Christian radio station, so-called Christian radio station. And find and listen to whether the words are pointing to Jesus or they're making you feel good about yourself. We do not, we cannot worship and sing worthy is the Lamb because of anything that we did or brought to the table. It is all about Jesus Christ. He alone deserves the glory. And, and it may be that you get tired of hearing that. Maybe you want something to tickle your ears, but that's not why we're here. Singing worthy is the Lamb and having this within our heart and within our mind. It's, it's not about any kind of emotionally driven music. Worship is so much more. It is about the Lamb of God. The one who again was slain from before the foundation of the world. True worship comes from a mind. It is constantly being renewed by the Spirit of God. It is reading and hearing of the preciousness of Jesus Christ and falling on bended knee before the throne. Do you want to know more about God? Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust emotions. Go to His Word. He's given you all you need to know right here. We talked about this this morning, the sufficiency of Scripture. It is good for all that pertains to life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If you have been worshiping wrongly, or if you are worshiping the wrong thing, the Bible says again that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when you can know that you have eternal life, that you can rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. This last week, there are, over the course of this last week, 1.2 million people went out into eternity. 
that's twice, more than twice the population of Wyoming, that you are here this morning as a testimony to the grace, the mercy, the sovereignty, and the providence of God. Next week you may not be. Are you ready to meet him? He who died for your sin, as Psalm 116 says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I encourage you to do that this morning. Let's pray. Worthy are you, O Lord. Worthy is the Lamb. You alone who were slain for our sins. Rightly did Peter say on the day of Pentecost, you crucified the Lamb of glory. It was our sins that put Jesus Christ on the cross that required him to suffer at the hands of the Father to be able to endure the wrath For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And because of that, has the right, the sole right, to sit down at the right hand of God. What a privilege will be ours when one day we cross from this life into the next and we see the Lord Jesus Christ sitting rightly where he belongs. But, oh Lord, there there are many who keep revival from happening within their own hearts and lives because they are more concerned about what other people think. Maybe they're more concerned about the things that they think they will have to give up. Whatever the reason may be, if there is anyone who is here this morning who does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. We rejoice in our salvation knowing that it humbles us, it brings us to a point of humility realizing that there was nothing in me that you wanted to save or that you had to have. Your mercy, your grace is so extensive that whosoever will may come. Thank you, Lord, for a wonderful day. Thank you that this is the day that you have made. We can rejoice and be glad in it. And should this be the last day, the last week, the last month that we take a breath in this life, help each and every soul here to be ready, knowing that judgment is surely coming and we either will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ with him as our judge or we will be able to be reminded again for all of eternity that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the attentiveness this morning and may each person go from here rejoicing in the wonder of Jesus Christ. We ask this because you alone are worthy of all of our praise and all God's people said, Amen.